Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Thanks for listening to the For the Campus podcast, where each week we sit down and have discussions about Christian faithfulness in the college campus. To learn more about City Church Tallahassee and our ministries, head to citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, college pastor here at City Church, and in today's episode we sit down with our discipleship pastor, Joseph Thigpen, and discuss the significance of Bible intake, why knowing Scripture matters, how it shapes us, and the myths that surround it. We hope that this conversation not only encourages you, but also challenges you, as I know it did me. We hope that you enjoy. Hey, Joe, thanks for taking some time to sit down with us on our second episode of the For the Campus podcast. Before we dive into our discussion today, I'd love for you to tell us about how you got to City Church and what your current role is here. Yeah, so I'm Joe Thigpen. I'm married to Laura. We have one daughter, Eliza, um, and we moved from Raleigh, North Carolina in 2018. So I came on staff at City Church in August of 2018 to take the role of discipleship pastor. Uh, Craig Stewart, who's now one of our missionaries in the city of Berlin with his wife, Jen, and their family, uh, he served as discipleship pastor faithfully for a number of years, and I came really in to replace him. So what that means as far as my day-to-day, I oversee our city groups, our small group, ministries, uh, from writing curriculum, doing leadership development with city group leaders, also help um, curate our equip content. So anything from equip classes, teach, right now we're teaching through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, doing book, book level overviews of all 66 books of the Bible uh, once a month. So part of that is helping craft notes, get speakers ready, and we have a teaching team of five, five of six of our directors, pastors, who are taking us through that content. Other things that I do are counseling, mentoring, discipling, um, but my main roles are focused on city groups and equip content and theological education and training in a local church. Awesome. Well, the discussion I wanted to have with you today and the reason I invited you on, something that a lot of people have been talking about in this season that we're in where everything is online and uh, all the services are online, and many people have more time than they normally have discretionary-wise. You know, a lot of them don't have to work the part-time jobs they had to work before. Uh, just even the day-to-day kind of driving to campus, walking around campus, start time, end times of classes. And so it's really brought up a huge conversation about Bible intake and Scripture reading. And there's a great opportunity for students to spend more time in God's Word. And I think that a lot of Christian students kind of envision themselves doing that. Whether that actually happens or not is, a, is another thing. Uh, but equally, there's an opportunity, too, just to drift away, to drift away from God's Word and just be in mindless entertainment or just kind of going through the motions of trying to get by. And so what I wanted to talk with you about today is Bible intake. And my first kind of question to kick it off is, what, what is Bible intake and why does it matter for a believer? Yeah, well, I appreciate the way you phrased the question on the focusing on Bible intake, because a lot of times when we think of Bible intake or Bible reading, we think of just that. We think of just reading the Bible, taking in information, and trying to memorize whether it's a set of facts, Bible stories, Bible characters, or facts about Jesus' life and ministry or what the apostles say in the epistles, and trying to just somehow apply these what seem like cold principles sometimes to our lives and ask ourselves, what does this text mean for me? How can I change my life to be in conformity to 
God's Word. Now, while I think those are sincere questions, oftentimes, again, focusing on what you did, Bible intake, we, we miss what really the Scriptures have for us. And what we as Christians say and have said for millennia, going all the way back to the time that the epistles were written, and even before that to Moses, when Moses was heard from God on, the, on Mount Sinai and received the commandments and wrote down the law and Genesis to Deuteronomy, we have a God that's spoken to us. So God has spoken to us in his word. And the word that we have is the scriptures, 66 books, Old and New Testaments, um, that show us, that reveal to us who God is. Uh, so for the Christian, that's of primary importance, mm-hmm. is our life in Christ is directly tied to our exposure to himself, to to his word. So being in the scriptures regularly is of vital importance for Christians, and there are a series of disciplines that, you know, church, we've talked about as Christians for many years. One of those certainly is reading, so we start with reading, and reading informs our prayer life. So we have the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, 150 different One's of them always expressing something that's on a psalmist's heart. Sometimes it's praise, sometimes it's lament, sometimes it's an honest, honest question before God in, in anxiety, but always theological in nature, wanting to hear from God and instruct us on how we are to respond to Him based on Him speaking to us. So as Christians, we want to hear from God, and we say that God, God has spoken in His Word and coming to Him at His Word and devoting our lives to study it, to see what he has to say to us is of vital importance for our life and maturity as believers. Hmm. And I'm sure that you've gone through this before, especially something about having little kids makes this start to happen in your life where you start to like Google search, what are the effects of blank? And you, you get like, what are the effects of, what are the symptoms of, et cetera? And you're looking at trying to figure out what are the effects or symptoms of a Christian making Bible intake a priority? Yeah, what I often like to compare it to is um, I'm married, I mentioned that, I'm married to Laura. If I'm not talking to Laura, if I'm not hearing from Laura, my relationship with Laura is not going to be good at all. And there's going to be a lot of consequences downstream of that. My relationship with my other friends, coworkers, because a primary relationship in my life is deficient. And really, it's even anemic. There's there's nothing there where my marriage with her should be one of the, mo- the most important relationship in this world, apart from my relationship with Christ. And if I'm not communicating with her, then that relationship is going to be fraught with all kinds of difficulties. So applying that to the scriptures even, of even more vital importance, that we're both hearing from the Lord and we're speaking to him. Uh, one, one theologian, Janine Brown, who wrote a kind of an academic work of hermeneutics, uh, really has a helpful, I mean, the title is helpful, and the diagram that she has in that book is helpful, and what she talks about is scripture as communication, that God has spoken to us, and then based on how God has spoken to us, we respond to him. So what, what's the effects of missing that is that we miss a relationship, and the, a prim, the primary relationship for us as Christians in this life. So what that means is, just assume if you didn't talk to your best friend, uh, for days, months, years on end, or you didn't hear from someone who's really close to you. We can think about what effects that would have, but really it leads to us have dis- disordering our lives and looking for things to fill our lives where the scriptures can only, only mm. do that. And that kind of segues well into what I also want to talk to you about, where um, there's a lot of myths in Bible reading, a really common one that I've, I'd love to hear about what other myths there are, but a really common one is, and we hear this in city groups and we hear this in environments all the time, is when people say, here's what this passage means to me. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, could you just talk a little bit about why that's not the best way to think about Scripture and how it communicates and speaks to us, mm-hmm. and then what maybe some other common myths or misconceptions about Scripture might be? Yeah, for sure. I think the the question of what does this passage mean to me is a good question. It's not good as a first question. So Gordon Fee, uh, in How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, uh, I think we'll talk about resources a mm-hmm. little bit later, but he puts it this way. He says, before you ask the before you ask what does this passage mean to me, you first need to ask the question, what does this passage mean? Hmm. The Bible is a theological book, and what he means by that is first it teaches us about who God is and what God has said to us. So before we ask what it means to me, we need to think about what the passage means and what does it first really communicate about God? What is, what is God seeking to tell, tell us here in this text about himself? Uh, and so how to do that, there's you know a science behind it that's called hermeneutics, which is just a fancy word for how to study the Bible. And there, there are disciplines, there are questions, there are consistent questions that we can ask to get to that question what does this Bible mean to me? Because the Bible does speak to us clearly and intimately. It speaks to our character, speaks to who we are as humans. Uh, but it, we need to ask first, what did the text mean? And a lot of times that means, what does it mean? What did it mean to the original audience? What did Moses have in mind when he was writing the book of Genesis to the Israelites? What did Paul have in mind when he was writing the letter to 1 Corinthians? What was the context there? We have a lot of other disciplines that can help us inform us as to what it meant to those original hearers. Um, so that the question of what does it mean to me is a good question, but let's just put it down the list on priorities. Mm-hmm. Let's first ask, what did this question mean? And then let's devote ourselves to really studying and understanding how God has spoken to his people throughout history, and then arrive at what it, what it then means for us. Some other myths that often hear is uh, just uh, about study habits. So uh, people that will take take us what, with what we say on that the Bible speaks to us um, will a lot of time have an unsystematic or what I'm just kind of cobbled together method of studying the Bible. And I think all of us, we, we know we're all different. Hunter, you and I are different as to how we may approach mm-hmm. reading the Bible. I, I may have a plan that works for me, you have something else, but we're being exposed to scriptures in similar ways. Uh, so a lot of, I remember when I was younger um, and didn't really know how to study the scriptures, I took just kind of the open the Bible to close my eyes, open the Bible, put my finger down, and I'm just going to read that verse, yeah. and that's going to be my verse for the day. And I'm going to try to draw inspiration from that. That works really well if your finger lands on Philippians 4.13, it doesn't work so well if your finger lands in the book of Leviticus um, because you, we can't abstract one verse from its context and try to apply, apply it to our lives to inspire us. And really, if I can just be blunt, that's a pretty selfish way of reading the Bible, that we come to the Bible want, wanting to be inspired rather than hear what the Lord has to say to us. Because sometimes what the Lord has to say in the Scriptures isn't something that's too uplifting, but we trust Him at His Word, that His mm. Word is always timely that it's always effectual in our lives, and we devote ourselves to it rather than devote, devoting the scriptures to serve us. So a lot of the myths come, I think, from that crucial fallacy of approaching the Bible as something that w- we want to use in our lives to maybe prop us up, to encourage us. And to be clear, the Bible does have words of encouragement, um, but that's not always its, that's not its primary purpose. Our yeah. prim- its primary purpose is to show us who God is, and a lot of who God is, who we are, and importantly, whose we are as well. And you mentioned Leviticus, and I'd love to hear your take on this, but I don't know if it was a year or two ago, 
Um, but there was a ton of controversy that came around from an influential pastor in Atlanta, Andy Stanley, who a lot of people grew up seeing Bible studies from or listening to. And he used a phrase, uh, unhitching from the Old Testament. And to kind of make a synopsis of what began to emerge from that thinking was that the Old Testament is old and maybe less relevant to our life today. Could you speak to the significance of the Old Testament and why in Bible intake it's important for us to take all of God's Word at its Word? Yeah, so I'm, I'm familiar with the, the controversy and the conversation that you were talking about. Um, I mean, I think it's important just at face value, like w- the way that that statement doesn't make a whole lot of sense is because you can't have the New Testament without the Old. Mm -hmm. Uh, That the New Testament anticipates something and fulfills something that you only see in the Old Testament. And so as as people, as Christians, we often say here that we're, we're people of the book. Uh, and that means we're people of the Bible. We believe that God has spoken to us, and we want to hear the whole counsel of his word. And really the New Testament, I mean, in my, my reading, and I, I have a long way to go, Lord willing, in, in understanding in this life uh, what he has for us in his word. But the more I read the New Testament, the more I want to read the Old Testament. Hmm. Because in every, every book of the Bible, every New Testament book, the authors are making allusions or they're citing scripture or passages from the Old Testament. So to read the New Testament without understanding the Old uh, or it's attempting to understand the Old uh, really isn't taking scripture at its at its word. Uh, because we often see, especially from, there, there's no way to understand a book like Hebrews without understanding the biblical imagery and language that the writer of Hebrews is appealing to in the Old Testament. So going back to the book of Leviticus, you've got to know some of the major themes that are happening in the book of Leviticus, what the temple was supposed to be, what the order of priests was supposed to be, to really understand how the author of Hebrews brings in Christ to really show you how he fulfills all of that, how he fulfills the Old Testament system, how he is our prophet, priest, and king. And without understanding the tension of the Old Testament, of how there were a series of priests that never really fulfilled the role of priest, Mm -hmm. uh, then we really miss something important, I think, about what Christ has actually done in delivering atonement for us and for us to to rejoice uh, at and in as Christians. So I think the Old Testament really helps us to fully appreciate the new and appreciate what we have in Christ because we see thousands of years transpire uh, before the New Testament, before Christ ultimately came. And how much more does that actually impact our own spirituality to understand no matter when we came to faith that there was a period of groaning where we're in darkness but the Lord has, has come to bring light to us, as John talks about. Uh, but how many, how many years did the Israelites wander in the wilderness uh, before they ultimately were delivered to the land of Egypt? And I think we're, we miss a lot when we don't read the Old Testament because we, we kind of trunk, truncate God's redemptive work in history. So all that to say, I want us to, to be people of the book that are of, of all 66 books and to really realize we can't understand the New Testament without reading and understanding the Old. And, and I really like the way that you talked about not being a, self, a selfish Bible reader who's just looking for uh, information uh, or inspiration. And one of the issues that I've seen with with that is that, okay, I'm going to go and find all the things that I like in Scripture, love your neighbor, you know, care about people, be selfless, don't, you know, don't love money too much, you know, all those things. But then if it talks about sexuality or if it talks about Old Testament things that I deem as boring, then I'm just not going to care about them. I'm just going to mm-hmm. focus in on the things that I care about. And I think that's a really good reminder that 
we need to take all of God's Word in as, as people who are studying uh, the Bible. My, my next question for you is, you know, when we talk about Bible intake, there's a couple different places that that happens in a believer's life. So there's the individual, and then there's group settings like a city group, and then there's even greater group settings like sitting in the local church. Could you talk about some of the different ways in which Christians seek to get Bible intake and maybe what some of the nuances are between them? Yeah, for sure. And what I'll I'll start off by saying is all are necessary and needed, Um, because I think like we'll see with any diet, um, all of them provide us a little, a taste of something a little bit different. Um, So starting with uh, individual Bible reading, that's kind of what most of our conversation has talked about of how do we approach the scriptures as individuals. Certainly that's, that's of importance and value. I mean, not Christians throughout the centuries have not had the access to the scriptures that we do, where most of us can pull up a Bible, any translation on our phone free of charge. Um, or many of us have uh, multiple copies of God's Word, the, script, the scriptures in our home of various translations. Um, so it's important not only that we have access to it, but that we, we read it, that we apply ourselves to it. And there are ways of doing that. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later in this conversation. Uh, But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, talks about the relationship between what he says is the day day alone and the day with others. That the day day alone prepares us for the day with others, just as the day with others prepares us for the day alone. Mm. And I think we can look to the Scripture and see how God God has spoken to His people, and it's intimate. Sometimes think of Him speaking to Job. In the Old Testament, he comes to Job and has some particular, peculiar things to say to Job based on his life. Or think of Jesus in the New Testament and his ministry to the, the 12 uh, disciples, the 12 apostles, and the three. Uh, or think of his relationship with Peter and how he speaks to Peter and he knows, he knows Peter intimately. Or think of how he appeals to Paul. So we see that the God of the Bible is one that does speak to us on an, at an individual level. So it's important that we devote ourselves to understanding the scriptures individually. Uh, however, I'm using the word individually and not individualistically, because we, what we also see in the scriptures is that God has always spoken through and to individuals in community. Hmm. So he's used people like Moses or David, uh, or um, certainly Peter, Paul, John, uh, he's, that he's given them words, and it was always in my, in mindful of them sharing it with community. And then God's word ultimately is what forms the community of the church. To where when we gather, there's a, there's a reason why, uh, as good Protestants, what's at the center of our worship service is the preaching of the word, and not taking the Lord's supper or communion, because we say God has spoken, and He's spoken to us as a community, as God's children. So there's something in our life together as to how we submit together to the word that forms us, that shapes us, that we see, yes, we have an intimate relationship with Jesus because he has revealed himself to us, he's spoken to us in his word, but also he's formed a community. I have a new family, really, because of what uh, Christ has done, that he's he's reconciling a people to himself of all tribes, tongues, and nations, and that his word is what forms that. So as we come together, uh, we do that as way in ways of one, uh, devoting ourselves to the private reading of God's Word, 
And secondly, something that we do at City Church is in uh, city groups or small group environments where we come together with other Christians uh, that, you know, anywhere from 5 to 12, some 20 in number to really talk through and work through a particular text because we, because I can learn from you. I can learn from someone else as to how they read, what questions they ask of the scriptures to highlight something in the text that maybe I didn't, I didn't see at first or didn't appeal to me based on uh, the, my, my context or my own biases. And then ultimately we come together weekly, uh, Lord willing, on s- Sunday mornings. Um, right now this proves to be a little bit difficult, mm-hmm. but we do so to faithfully hear God's Word spoken to us from Dean or whomever may fill the pulpit on any given day because, again, we're formed by the scriptures and all and they all does that in different and distinct ways whereas the application for individuals we're thinking all right how can what god what does god have to say in this text and how can i work that into my life uh to how what does god have to say to us as a group and ultimately what does god have to say to us as a church in our life together when we come together every week and one of the things i was curious if you could kind of elaborate on too is um you know, the Bible is God's word. And so we know that it's different than any other book that's ever been written, but Mm -hmm. what is spiritual or what is special about God's word in the way in which it interacts with people's life? Yeah, I think going back to, I just think of the um, example, early church father, Augustine, or in Florida, we say Augustine. Hmm. Um, But so Augustine has a where he talks to his was pivotal in his testimony, where he was just hearing this voice saying, "Tola lege, tola lege, take take up and read," um, and he he opens the Bible and he he starts reading, and ultimately he, he's converted. Uh, God saves him through the really reading the words mm-hmm. of the scriptures and within community working through what what the text meant. Um, so I mean, and even a way like that, we see that as we read the Bible, there's something peculiar about the words, that the words really do have power, that even those that deny the Bible, deny that the Bible is the Word of God, there's still something about it. There's a weightiness to it. Mm-hmm. There's some some there's there's opposition to the text that is different than opposition to any other any other book. And I think that in and of itself shows there's something different about this book. This book has been held at center of many cultures. It's gone back before many uh, many cultures had writing um, to show who God is that He communicates with us. So, at the at the center of it really is being able to come to it and know that the words do have power. Mm-hmm. But it also is something that we look at together to inf- to inform our lives. That it's it's not just some abstraction, but uh, of truths or all the Bible isn't Proverbs, although there are some Proverbs in the scriptures, mm-hmm. uh, but they there's a range of literature. There's a range of types of literature from narrative to apocalypse, so like the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation, to prophet, to, po- to prophetic literature, to poetry, to epistles that are a little bit more logical in their flow. So there's a wide variety of types of literature or literary devices used to make up the Bible uh, but all which speak powerfully and with particularity to our condition as humans mm-hmm. and to show us who God is. Yeah, and John Piper, I don't know if you... Have you read Peculiar Glory yet? I haven't. Man, I read it last year, and I thought it was really good, and he just talked about there is this this glory in the Scriptures, and mm-hmm. it's not just that it's from God, but it's that there's a way in which believers experience God mm-hmm. through His Word. And I think yeah. that that's something that for young believers... 
and I want to talk about this, but for young believers, a lot of times, I remember when I first started reading scripture as a young believer who didn't grow up really with high involvement in church and didn't uh, didn't grow up around a lot of people who were very astute in the scriptures. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I would start reading something and I would just be really discouraged mm-hmm. because I didn't, I didn't understand. And I would walk away from scripture truthfully, just kind of feeling dumb mm-hmm. and not feeling encouraged and not feeling like I understood God better, but just under feeling discouraged. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's, a, there's, you know, for young believers, I think if, if you do make it a discipline, and you sit in teaching where people can help, older Christians can help you understand, you sit under the good teaching from a pastor, all of a sudden you you get to experience Scripture, for lack of a better phrase, and it it kind of begets more desire, and it kind of grows over time. But there is that sense, and Pastor Dean says it all the time, that sometimes you just have to make it like a spiritual discipline is a discipline, and you got to mm-hmm. push through even when you're not feeling it, even when it isn't coming easy. I don't know if you have any thoughts on... Um, young Bible readers who deal with mm-hmm. discouragement and how mm-hmm. they could possibly work through that to try to push through to where they can have more confidence in how they handle the Word? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think we've, we've all been there. I think anybody that's, you know, that is in the Scriptures consistently or at any education level or spiritual maturity um, can relate to that question. And even now, like I, I have times where I'm, I'm reading the Bible uh, and I'm, I'm discouraged or I'm confused. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I understand what the, what the text is saying um, and how I think the Lord by His grace has shown me through, through His Word is how I respond, what I, what I do in response to moments like that. Mm. That sometimes, and again, it, it really is the questions that we ask of the text. If we're coming to the text and asking, well, how can I be encouraged or inspired today? Um, let's at least just let's question our question. Maybe that's not the right question to ask. Uh, maybe maybe it's something more. I, I need to understand what's happening in this text before I can ask the question. Okay, well, how can I apply it to my life? So, but to exactly what you said, some, it's something to persist in. Uh, we 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 confess as as Christians, we believe that Scripture is sufficient and clear, but also that Scripture informs Scripture. So as you persist in reading the Bible. Uh, things become things that used to be less clear become clearer, uh, and that's why I think a plan is important. Just to think about how you're studying the Bible, even if that's just for the next week. You say, okay, over the next week, I'm going to take a short New Testament letter, and I'm going to try to master that letter. I'm going to try to read First and Second John over the next three weeks and really understand all that John is talking about here. So I'm going to get some research tools. I'm going to use some sources that are online. I'm going to ask people in the church to recommend some resources to me to try to understand these books. Uh, And I'm going to try to mine it for all it's worth. And then knowing that there's still going to be some things that you don't quite understand, but then after that two or three week time frame that you commit to, um, you you move on. You mm-hmm. you go somewhere else in the scripture, and you do that enough times again in achievable milestones for yourself. I think you'll be surprised at how your understanding of scripture broadens and deepens mm-hmm. at the same time. Sometimes we think we have to be broad, like I've got to read Genesis to Revelation, or I've got to go deep. Um, and I've got to become a master of one book. I, I take the approach that both are helpful and necessary, just like I think you know, any kind of training, it's important to do endurance training, and it's important to do strength training. Mm-hmm. And what we find as we mix both of those, you know, my time in the weight room is going to help me to run longer mm-hmm. and run farther, uh, whereas my endurance is going to help me to lift more weights and to do so for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. 
I think that the same thing is true for the scriptures, that experiencing both. So for those that are new to studying the Bible or maybe discouraged, pick, talk to somebody and pick something that's achievable for you. I mean, you, I, I admire your um, willingness to start with a you know book like Leviticus. I think there's a lot of uh, that can be a gold mine too, but that is going to be a little bit harder for somebody mm-hmm. jumping in there versus maybe even starting backing up a couple books, starting with Genesis or starting with something in the New Testament like John or you know first or second, third John mm-hmm. that kind of gives you a, an overview of what the Christian life is. But to do so in community and to ask other people, be honest when you're discouraged again because we've all been there. Yeah. And I like that because it gives you momentum. And there's a reason that, like, when you first start learning Greek, you're going to be in First John. Everybody mm-hmm. just pretty much starts in First John. And it's like, okay, as you start to learn this, then it, it builds and it gives momentum to the rest of the text. And I do feel like we joke, like, who, who was the guy that decided John was the book mm-hmm. that you should walk people through? And we just jokingly, just because out the gate, you know, you're getting yeah. into, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and welcome to Christianity, right, you know? Right. Um, but at the same time, I, I agree with you. It's There's nothing wrong with trying to have momentum. And the most helpful thing, the thing that changed the game for me as a young believer was sitting under good expository preaching, meaning mm-hmm. that it was working through the text as it is. And Dean was doing that. And as I was coming Sunday to Sunday and I was listening to him preach the word and I was looking at the text myself, even during the sermon and then going home and going back and looking at it, I began to understand, okay, wow, this is how we can move through the word of God and and grab the context and and pull the application through. So sitting under great preaching is one of, if not, it's one of the best ways I feel comfortable saying that of, of growing. I want to get into um, some practical resources, mm-hmm. and we had to actually get a different table That's right. to record on because Joe brought in his physical copy books, which is so Joe, if anybody knows Joe. Uh, but I'd love for you just to share with us, what are some good resources for growing a- as a Bible reader? Yeah, so I think there there's a couple categories of resources, and so I tried to bring some books that represent those categories. Uh, the question that I get most often is somebody that is new to the Bible, what's a good resource for, for me? So, And what I think here isn't a book that you're trying to read cover to cover, but as a reference guide of it, when you come up to a passage, you know, maybe a hard passage in Genesis or uh, something in, in the epistles as to how Paul is, is structuring his argument, you know, in Romans 8, popular passage, or um, how, do, how do I understand the book of Daniel? Um, how to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart yeah. is just a good volume to have on your shelf. It's published by Zondervan, and it gives you really, it gives you a little bit more, uh, it gives you a deeper look at what, a lot of what we've talked about today. So it, it provides an overview of why studying the Bible is important, but really what it walks through, and I think the real value of the book is it walks through all the different types of uh, literature that mm-hmm. make up the Bible, and it kind of it instructs you on how to make how do these authors make meaning, how they use different devices to really communicate truth. So that's how to read the Bible for all it's worth by Gordon Fee is what you can look at. Mm-hmm. Another good reference is this one here. It's 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible by Robert Plummer. And similar to the How to Read Your Bible, it's, this isn't one that you need to pick up and read cover to cover, but like the title indi- indicates, it's there's 40 questions about reading the Bible. So almost, probably not all, but any questions that you would ask of how, do, how to do something, how do I understand? I'll just read something here. It's like, what what is the Bible? 
Uh, how is the Bible? How's the Bible been interpreted through church history? Uh, who determines the meaning of the text? So there's 40 questions like that. And how how do we interpret Proverbs? How do we interpret poetry? So similar to some of the things that Fee and Stewart do, this is a list of questions that you could really run through. And it's quick. It's a quick hit uh, answer to the question and points you to some other resources. So 40 questions about interpreting the Bible mm-hmm. by Robert Plummer. Um, now, what I've said so far, both of these books, if we can put it this way, focus on the science of reading the Bible. So how to, how do I approach, what questions do I ask of a text uh, to really understand what the author is saying, both human and divine, uh, what what God is communicating through the words. Uh, but what, what I also like to emphasize with folks too is we, we always don't need to ask the scientific question because uh, one author put it this way, we, we, we read in order to live as Christians. Going back to the relationship analogy I use, like we read to be in relationship and to communicate with God. So there is both a science and an art of reading the Bible too. So living by the book by um, Howard Hendricks and William Hendricks helps kind of bridge that gap. It, it gives some of the practical tools and, and advice that the former two books do, but it also talks about the art of reading the Bible and how to do so, how to read the Bible in some ways spiritually, how to do so to grow in the Spirit. So First John talks about the life that we have in the Spirit, what it means to live according to the Spirit in relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit, and how we're nourished through the Word and how we apply the Word to our lives. So this, this is something that gives you some strategies, but it also talks about how, how to live, how to use the Word to shape, shape your life. So that's Living by the Book, The Art and Science of Reading the Bible by Howard Hendricks and William Hendricks. Um, so those are just some quick, if you're asking question, what can I, how can I come to the Bible with a list of questions? Those are good to get you started, uh, kind of an introduction to reading the Bible. Another set of books, I have one that represents this, is like some a biblical theology. So what I also think is important to understand the Bible is to understand the, the Bible in its entirety. So from Genesis to Revelation, the, the Bible is one book that communicates a central theme and uses a lot of things to do that. And what it communicates is the gospel and the gospel that, sa- the gospel that saves us but then transfers us from uh, the dominion of death to the kingdom of God. Um, so reading books that help us kind of chart those stories mm-hmm. is really helpful. So one that I have here is really an Old Testament overview um, or by a biblical theological overview of the Old and New Testament is by Graham's, Graham Goldsworthy called Gospel and Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And this is a, it's a really readable, a lot of biblical theologies get uh, somewhat academic, um, but this one is a, is a good introduction to that. It's short, it's about 140 pages to read through, to, un- to really understand. He traces through the Bible the the kingdom, so how the kingdom from the Old Testament really is built and delivered ultimately to Christ, and what what that means for how we are to read and understand the Bible. There's several other books that are out there. There's a uh, several series that are new studies in biblical theology. So as a good good series edit, edited by, edited by Don Carson. Those can be a little bit more academic, uh, but there there are other biblical theological texts that give you a broad overview of the 
scriptures of how the, how the Bible makes meaning and points us to mm-hmm. who God is. The last category that I'd mention is just an over like a survey, like an Old Testament or New Testament survey. And there's a lot of those out there. If you have questions on what that is or what those are, um, talk talk to us, email me or talk to Hunter. Uh, there's there's a lot of good surveys out there, and those really do that. They kind of give you a bird's eye view of the Old and New Testaments. Uh, and all the su- summaries of the different books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say start start with books. Find find a good volume. Uh, use that as you prepare to or study the Bible. There's certainly other uh, articles and online resources, mm-hmm. videos. Uh, but I would just encourage you try try to read because what we want to be able to do is read the Bible better. Mm-hmm. And reading just has you ask a, a different set of questions than like watching a video would. Yeah. But I do think good preaching. Going back to what you said. It's expositional, works through books of the Bible, uh, helps you know how to read, interpret, and apply uh, text very well and consistently. So if I had to say uh, videos, check out some of the sermons. Certainly City Church, we're going through 1 Corinthians right now, but other other uh, podcasts and pastors that give expositional sermons would be good, good places to start mm-hmm. to, to supplement some of the things that we're doing here. Did we record the Donald Whitney praying scripture talk? Is that available on the website? Do I don't know? know. But the book is obviously available, yep. and it's it's called Praying Scripture, right? Yeah, Praying, Praying through, the Bible. Praying the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I, I was out of town, but I did get a chance to watch the video. I'm not sure if we posted it, but my wife came home from that, and she was so encouraged, and she just felt like Dr. Whitney did such an incredible job of articulating a way that we can engage with Scripture through prayer mm-hmm. that was not common practice in my home, to be honest with you. I mean, I'd heard people talk about mm-hmm. different ways that you can pray scripture. Um, and, and I've taken some seminary classes on, on hermeneutics, uh, but there was something about that talk. And then I went back and, and watched it myself that it felt like he did such a great job of saying, here's a great way for you to just not to, to take two things that we often separate prayer and scripture reading mm-hmm. and to merge them together in a really meaningful way. And so if, if you're listening to this, that's definitely, I think, uh, something that I would add. Um, are you ready for some rapid-fire questions? Let's do it. Joe's known for his rapidness, rapidity. Is that a word? You it's coined a, a word. it, so. Yeah, my coworkers are shaking their head like it's a word, but they're just being nice. They're used to um, it. So the first one is, if you could go back and talk to Joe. Well, let me reframe it. If Joe Thigpen, young Joe, was in college right now, what would you tell yourself? Hmm. Are you talking about, let me just make sure to answer your question in the way that Rapid you got, Joe. Rapid <laughs> me. Let me understand the no. context. Uh, like about Bible reading or just anything in, in the life of the church? Yeah, yeah, sorry. In general, yeah. young Joe's running around, QBing right now in Tallahassee in our church. Like you get this very surreal scenario I've created, but mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself? Yeah, um... I'd say uh, pursue pursue good relationships, um, pursue, and, and pursue faithfulness. Um, yeah, there, there's a many ways that that could flesh itself out, but pursue good relationships. Both. Uh, I, I appreciate what what Dean said in the podcast, the mm-hmm. most recent podcast, the first podcast, the inaugural FTC for the campus podcast the big with reveal. Dean and the big reveal. Uh, I appreciate what he said of you seeing co- college as a missional opportunity. And so what I mean by pursue good relationships is pursue one good relationships in the church, pursue relationships with 
older believers who can mentor you, uh, disciple you, help help you understand the scriptures more and who God is more, and that model a godly life, but also pursue relationships that are evangelistic in nature. Mm. Uh, take take advantage of the opportunities that have been given and pursue faithfulness. Um, I th- that That's the call of the Christian life is to live a faithful life in the, in the eye of fruitfulness. So we just went through, you know, 1 Corinthians, um, or not, we just, we've, paused our study of 1 Corinthians, uh, but just went through 1 Corinthians 3, um, where we we see a, the contrast between uh, the ministries of Paul and some, some of the other uh, ministers, apostles of that time. And he just says this phrase of where, I planted, Apollos watered, God calls the growth. Um, and what, what he's focusing on there is the faithfulness to do what the Lord had put in front of him and to see the Lord bring up fruit. Um, so what is pursue faithfulness as, as a college student, uh, it's easy to get caught up in whatever is, uh, the trend of the day. Uh, and a lot of times Bible reading, spiritual disciplines, um, things that we're talking about today are not part of that. So find what faithfulness is in the scriptures and pursue that Mm. is what I'd say to myself. So within your level of comfort, what is your biggest regret about your time in college? Hmm. Yeah, I would say, I mean, along the lines of some of the things that I mentioned, I think I didn't, I took for granted my college years. So I played, I played sports in college. So uh, my t- a lot of my time was scheduled for me, but what free time I did have, I pursued, I used it pursuing really meaningless things. So mm-hmm. I, as we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, like it was chasing after after wind, I was pursuing things for my own glory, my own fame, uh, and neglecting weightier matters uh, mm. in in life. And I think college, because so many people are asking so many questions, it really is uh, a crucial time to make sure that you're forming your mind and forming forming your life around the things that really do matter. That you're asking the right questions, um, and and really even critiquing the the questions that are being superimposed upon you. Uh, I think Dean was right and he said, like, there, there's a lot of antagonism to uh, the faith on college campus. And that's mm-hmm. just because all of the questions that people don't ask in the work, workplace, they're asking on a college campus. And what we say with Christianity is that we can engage in those questions. So I think for me, I just I took for granted the, the time that college was. Mm-hmm. I didn't devote myself to the things I probably I should have, uh, and that would include uh, careful study of the scriptures and, and, men, and pursuing proper relationships with others in the church and others that could teach mm-hmm. me the things of the faith. Was there a book that you read along the way, maybe in high school or college, that outside of the Bible that kind of lit a fire in you? And if so, what was the first book that you read that really lit a fire in you? Yeah, so it was Radical by David Platt, and that was in college, mm-hmm. uh, that really shaped my understanding of, you know, that Christianity, biblical Christianity is something different than I've experienced. Now, I don't want to put too much blame on the church that I was raised in, because I, I really think there's enough of my own sinfulness that just blinded me to mm-hmm. uh, what, what the Lord called his, calls His people to. But it really wasn't something that I understood before having, my, like, my concepts and categories challenged for what Jesus calls us to do or calls us to be uh, before reading the book Radical. And thankfully, I I went to school in Birmingham, Alabama, and that led me to join the church at Brook Hills, um, which was the first church that I joined as a member uh, other than the church that I was raised in, Mm -hmm. um, and really seeing there a church shaped and devoted to 
the study of the scriptures and the effect that that can have on people uh, is what was catalytic for me in pursuing where even getting to where I am now uh, and and seeing the scriptures in I think they're right in new way as God's word to God's people. Hmm. What's a topic that you would love for us to discuss on this podcast with college students as somebody who's a discipleship pastor in a church with a couple hundred college students? Yeah, um, I think... You get to pick one. Yeah, uh, this is an important one. Uh, It's one that we've spent, I mean, you and I have spent Mm -hmm. really the better part of the last year talking about. Mm I think prayer is an is an important one too. Hmm, yeah. I think a lot of times we, and this pretty closely to what it is that we've talked about here. Uh, I don't know how rapid this is, so you have to tell me. Hank will have to tell me how I'm doing later. He'll and we'll have a coaching <laughs> conversation, I'm sure. Um, but prayer is something that's closely wed to this. A lot of times it's misunderstood or misappropriated. I think what you mentioned about Don Whitney is important too. Mm-hmm. That the scriptures really give rise to the prayers that we pray. Um, maybe a more uh, you know timely or cult culturally contextually appropriate uh, is is how how the Bible, how we engage the scriptures with people who um, are hostile to them mm, yeah, how do we yeah how do we give an account for the hope that lies within us and what I mean by that is is not not only evangelism and not only apologetics but really a mix of the two how do we live godly lives in a way that we are unapologetically Christian, mm-hmm. uh, but also not antagonistic to other to people who are antagonistic to us. Yeah. Uh, how do we hold the truths of the faith with a clean conscience and lay those before people by both how we live mm-hmm. and how we speak? Yeah, we have a group of students right now that's going through uh, Dr. Moore's book, Onward, mm-hmm. and it'd be interesting to take a couple of them and even mm-hmm. ask them that about, because he talks about how do we engage culture and engage mm-hmm. the world without losing our Christian conviction. Right. Well, thanks so much for giving us time today. A lot of good stuff, and we really appreciate it. My pleasure, Hunter. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to the For the Campus podcast. If this podcast was helpful for you, please take time to share it with others. Also, feel free to reach out to us online. Have a great day.